This is the Sibling Library Podcast. You will know when to start listening when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now. Welcome to Sibling Library, the podcast where we read, share, and repeat. And we're sisters. <laughs> Yay. My name is Julia. I'm Megan. And I'm Katie. Very nice. And this month, in the month of February, we are going to talk about some of our favorite literary couples. We are going to also talk about the book Before the Ever After by Jacqueline Woodson that we read for our National African American Read-In in celebration of Black History Month. And then we're going to do a little something fun at the end. All right. Are we ready? Yes. So ready. Let's dive into our favorite literary couples, and I'm going to pick Katie first. I knew it. All right. Uh, I have two couples that I'd like to share. Uh, one of them I'll, I'll start with because I'm more, I am newer to this couple, and it is actually a real life couple, but there was a, um, a novelization written about them. So it's fairly historically accurate in terms of the things that happen. And the book that I'm referring to is Loving versus Virginia. It is a book about a, um, a biracial couple uh, in the 1950s in Caroline County, Virginia, that were um, basically having to fight to be together. Um, they were told that they, it was illegal for them to be married. Um, they had children together. Um, and, you know, long story short, it was nine years before they were able to actually live together in their home state. Um, and just the amount of hardship and uh, turmoil that their lives went through just to be together was incredible. It's tragic and sad that it was even necessary for that to happen. But it's also a testament to how much they love each other that they went through that just just to be together. So um, I just read this book within the last month or so and highly recommend it. It's very good in the um, audio version. There's uh, the actors are really, uh, really well suited to the parts and they perform it very well as well. So I, I definitely recommend that. Again, it's called Loving versus Virginia, a documentary novel of the landmark civil rights case, and it's by Patricia Ruby Powell. Um, and it looks like there may be some illustrations in the non-audio version, and those are drawn by Chandra Strickland, but I, I just have the audio version, so I can't speak to what the illustrations are like. So that was the first couple that I, I definitely wanted to mention um, because it was recent in my mind and I, I really I really admired their story and and found a lot of inspiration in it. Um, the second literary couple that I wanted to mention is entirely fictional and um, is definitely a favorite of mine and it is um, from the the books Outlander. Uh, Claire and Jamie are just in my mind, the absolutely perfect couple. They're they're both swoon worthy. Their chemistry is amazing, um, and they both have like 
the perfect blend of masculine and feminine between the two of them. Um, if you haven't read Outlander or seen the uh, the stars television show, um, Claire is a time traveler and she goes back in time and meets the love of her life in uh, Jamie. So she's coming from a much more modern um, era. So she's kind of a, a more modern woman. So that's that's part of what makes her come across as, you know, maybe a little bit more masculine than some of the other women um, that are portrayed. That's, that's not true of all of them. But I think what I love most about them is that they they get into a lot of, of uh, really difficult, like, life or death situations. And Claire saves Jamie just as many times as Jamie saves Claire. And they're, they're very 50-50 in their relationship. And they always know exactly the right thing to say to each other. And that's what I got. Nice. Good choices. Thanks. Megan? Um, I chose from Harry Potter, not who you think, um, <laughs> Molly and Arthur Weasley, because mm-hmm. I think um, of that whole franchise and of similar franchises like uh, Twilight, Hunger Games, Divergent, like that whole fandom has a lot of crossover between fans, I feel like. I think that out of all of them, their relationship is the healthiest. Um, And the one that I would, they like actually love and support each other. And they're not codependent. (laughs) And they have built and maintained a a steady home. Um, So I guess to me, looking at it, I feel like theirs, theirs is the relationship that I would most want to emulate in my life. That's it. I think their relationship is pretty realistic too yeah. in terms of some of the things that they they go through and and some of the the ways in which they have accepted the things about their partner that maybe they don't love but they have grown to love and they've grown to um, appreciate about them. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a really good choice because that's that's a really really realistic part of loving someone especially long term yeah thanks for helping me put that into words hey i'm here <laughs> maybe katie can help me put mine into more words too what you got uh, i don't even know if you've read these books you might have read some of them but i chose becky bloomwood and luke brandon from the shopaholic series by sophie kinsella mm, i've read a little bit but Let's see what I can do with it. Go ahead. They're just fun. Um, I think Luke is a good um, grounding force for Becky uh, and her, you know, shopping habits. Um, And he doesn't, what I like about it is he doesn't shame her for it, (laughs) which she often gets into troubles because of it, but he never makes her feel bad about it. I think you did it yourself. I don't think you need me. Okay. <laughs> you just didn't have anything else else to well, add because you don't <laughs> That's all right. There's like they're up to like, I don't know, eight or nine books at this point. Wow. Shopaholic series, there's a bunch of them. Um and they're all fun. So Yeah, it's been it's been years since I've read any of those. But they're they're nice, easy, chiclet, you know. Mm-hmm. 
I wouldn't say brainless. Brainless is not a, a way to say it, but it's like, you know, low stress read, I guess. Well, unless spending lots of money stresses you out. That's true. There's there's lots of antics mm-hmm. that happen. All right. Well, those are our favorite literary couples for the month of February. Good job, Happy guys. Valentine's Day, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day. All right. Now, I think we're ready to get into the meat of our show. And we decided this year that we were going to celebrate National African-American Read-In. And that is during the month of February, schools, churches, libraries, bookstores, community, and professional organizations, and interested citizens like us with a literary podcast are urged to make literacy a significant part of Black History Month by hosting an African-American read-in. Hosting an event can be as simple as bringing together friends to share a book or as elaborate as arranging public readings and media presentations that feature professional African-American writers. So these read-ins happen anywhere, homes, libraries, schools, community centers, and beyond. And um, basically, we're supposed to read a book by an African-American author and talk about it or host an event. So I guess this is our event, guys. We're going to talk about Jacqueline Woodson's Before the Ever After. And we chose this book because Jacqueline Woodson is an amazing author. And Megan just happened to have several copies of this book at our disposal. I did. I am planning to use this um, as part of my, I've mentioned this on the show several times, but I'm planning a literature circles unit later in the school year using novels in verse um, that feature diverse characters and authors. And this is one of the ones that I chose for my students. So. Can I ask you why you chose this one, Megan? Um, I felt like I, the other two that I chose um, were uh chosen because the other two that I chose have uh, female main characters and I felt like I needed one that had a male main character um and I had been considering um some of the ones by Kwame Alexander I think is the name uh like the crossover um and swing but I felt like those were just a little too focused on just sports rather than some more kind of I was looking for a deeper lesson, I think, and this book, while it does have focus on sports, also has a deeper lesson um, that I want my students to be able to dig their teeth into. I think it's a good choice. And Katie, since you're so good at summarizing books, do you want to give us a little rundown of what this book is about? Sure. Um, It is told from the perspective of a young boy who is witnessing the decline of his father, who is a pro football player. And he is, uh, you know, at the time that this book was set, we did not know a whole lot about the condition um, of uh, that, that a lot of these pro athletes are, are now experiencing. um, And and we know a lot more about it now, but it's, it's from being concussed too many times and, and having, um, you know, a degenerative disease of the brain as a result. So it's told through the eyes of his son who completely idolizes and and sees him as a hero, but starts to see his father 
really deteriorate and, and turn into a different person. Just to add to something that Katie was talking about, the disease that um, the main character's father is experiencing is chronic traumatic encephalopathy, encephalopathy CTE for short. And I think like in the time that the characters are supposed to be in, um, it doesn't seem like that was something that anybody really knew about yet. Um, and they talk about some of his other contemporaries that were playing at the same time also having issues and just nobody really knowing why it was happening or really kind of digging into things that could be done or, you know, how it could be treated. Um, but yeah, what did you guys think? Did you like it? I liked the book a lot. I kind of, something that I wondered about was um, the way it's put forth in the book is that it seems like nobody really knows what's happening or how it can be fixed. Um, but I feel like that was the portrayal that medicine, like that the football teams, the owners of the football teams and the people that were making the most money they wanted it to seem like nobody really knew what was happening. Right. And I really wonder if most of these athletes were white instead of black, if this would have changed a lot sooner. Because the doctor that ended up kind of blowing the cover off of all of this was a black man. Um, and he had to fight for years to be taken seriously that this was actually something that uh, was happening. Before they, I think it's just been in the last few years that they've started changing some of the rules in football to, to really try to avoid as many hard blows to the mm -hmm. head as possible. Like not even just changing that, but changing the equipment too. I think mm -hmm. um, we're watching a football game, and even just the helmets now are different, so that maybe the helmet will take more of the the force of a hit than hopefully the head or the neck or. Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and it seems just like it seems so logical when you're just sitting there thinking about it but you're right when there's that much money involved yeah mm -hmm. yeah and it's did did either of you read the author's note mm -hmm. yeah there's I think a, I did. a yeah. piece of it that kind of addresses that it says at first many doctors did not want to believe that there was a connection between brain damage and america's most popular sport but dr Omalu persisted, and in 2016, the link was finally acknowledged. And while football helmets protect the skull to some extent, it's not enough. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I, I think there's, you know, un underpinning a lot of that is just a sense of denial because it is. It's, it, it's such a popular and beloved sport, and there's so many people who look forward to watching it and it's you know it, it's it's part of their their year their week their you know they follow their teams and you know I, I think just like anything else that's that's that beloved it's that feeling of say it ain't so like mm -hmm. this this is you know something that so many people follow and enjoy and um and, and it's it's hard to tell that many people that that what they love is hurting people mm -hmm. yeah and it's particularly heartbreaking because um, CJ's father can't be that old. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. At the time that this is happening, like maybe 40s. Yeah, maybe. Like I was thinking 30s, he, yeah. Yeah, he shouldn't be shuffling around like like a like an old man and yeah. having symptoms of dementia. Dementia, mm-hmm. Alzheimer's, all that kind of stuff like. Mhm. Yeah. It was, and it was debilitating very... headaches. Mhm. Mhm. So, while you guys were reading, what did you think of the progression of ZJ's relationship with his father as his disease progressed? Um, I thought it was really striking and something that I really like about the way novels and verse work is that it's almost like each poem, at least the way Jacqueline Woodson writes, like each poem has just a little nugget kind of somewhere in there that you can chew on and really have like a light bulb moment. Um, And one of the first ones for me was actually on page seven. So really early after the poem called Before the Ever After. Uh-huh. the one that the whole book is named after um the last stanza and it says before the ever after there was three of us and we lived happily before the ever after and i thought it was kind of poignant that that um the story is starting talking about the ever after and rather than ending saying happily ever after that it was happy before the story started rather than your typical fairy tale um so i thought that was a little bit of foreshadowing. Uh, good foreshadowing there, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely a a story of such a change in the relationship because as I was kind of saying in the the synopsis that you know the the story starts with him really idolizing his father and it's not that that changes. It's that he truly becomes a a different person. Like he's, he's not, he doesn't have the same capabilities. He doesn't have, um, you know, sometimes he has to even remind himself who his son is. And that, you know, has to be such a, um, a painful thing to experience as a son, as a Mm -hmm. child uh, of your parent for them to forget who you are. Um, Cause they're, they're literally the most important people in your life for the most part. Um, or at least mm-hmm. the most formative, you know, if you are fortunate enough to to be with your parents um, or or even have even if it's not your biological parents, you have parental figures. They're they're the people that shape shape you and mold you and, um, you know, create a life for you and, and set you on whatever path you're going to go on. So to see someone that successful and. Um, you know, that prominent in your life go from such a high to such a low is, you know, is scary. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure in, in many ways it's, it's, it makes, probably makes him trust the world less. Yeah, I think he definitely had to grow up very early. I think he's only, what, 11, 12? Yeah. Um, and his worldview is not being shaped in the most positive of ways, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he and his mother were were so fortunate to have a core group of family and friends that ra- mm-hmm. really rallied around them. I mean, they they talked about um, it, the book talks about how they used to have. It sounded like they were just you know people people and. Um, you know, had lots of gatherings and, 
you know, when, when, not that I'm a celebrity, but you know, it's, it's not a leap to say celebrities wind up having more people interested in, in them and being involved in their lives and just wanting to be associated with them. Um, and they kind of described how, you know, as he started to, um, experience these, um, you know, these problems, a lot of those people kind of fell out of their lives and, and stopped checking in and, you know, stopped, you know, wondering what they could do to, to be there to help. Um, and, and it really just kind of stripped away to who are the important people. Um, and, and yeah. they were constant and consistent and, um, you know, continued to, to be there for, for him and his mother and, and help them out whenever they needed. And, um, whenever there was a, you know, a medical emergency, there was someone there to, to be there with ZJ and, yeah, um, and that was something that ZJ was worried about for a while. Like he, <clears throat> there's a moment when, um, he had a group of friends that would come over all the time. And as his dad was getting progressively worse, there was a day when he like yelled at all of them and scared all of his friends. And he's like, oh my gosh, like what if they don't want to come back? What if they don't want to be friends with me anymore because this is happening and none of them really were understanding what was happening or mm-hmm. had anywhere really to turn to have anybody explain to them why this was happening. Um, but yeah, so he had a really good support system in his friends that he could depend on and they would include him in things and check in on him and cause they knew that he was going through something hard. And even if they didn't have answers for it, they were there for ZJ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, they continued to be there, which was, which was really wonderful to see because they even though that happened and even though it instilled some fear in them because they they weren't really sure what to expect if they went over to his house they they didn't disappear from his life they were they were all still there um I I forget which one of his friends said it but one of his friends really tugged at my heartstrings because I think he was someone who who really didn't have a relationship with his father so he felt like um you know ZJ's father was was a father figure to him Mm -hmm. and i I don't remember exactly where in the book it is or the way it's written, but it's, um, he basically says that he felt like he went from having no dad to having a dad to having no dad again. And Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, this, this is sad from all angles. Um, but for some reason that, that struck me in a, in a certain way, because, you know, it's, it's like you find your people, you find your, your place and then have it taken away from you. Um, yeah, and that in in such a a jarring way is um is traumatic. Yeah, I remember that point in the book too, because um I remember how ZJ reacted to it, and I felt like the way Jacqueline Woodson wrote it um made ZJ seem simultaneously very empathetic, but also just a normal kid too, because he mm-hmm. responded with something along the lines of he didn't say this to his friend, but in his head, he felt like he wanted to both punch and hug the kid right. at the same time because it's kind of like, well, this is my dad. Like, this is my grief that I should have, but I understand why you're feeling this way too. So I I don't want you to have this. Like, this is my grief. I want to own it, but I also want to help you through your grief too. Um, I just thought that was a really cool moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, 
by the end of the story, um, ZJ has really decided that football is not for him. Um, but there is another boy in the story that they're not really friends, but they're kind of friends. Um, a boy named Everett who really wants to play football and really idolizes ZJ's dad as a football player. Um, and ZJ just kind of tells him, wishes him good luck. Um, what do you think he meant by that when he was telling him good luck? Hmm. I think I th- it was, Oh, go ahead, Megan. Um, you can go. It's okay. I was going to say, I think it was both genuine and cautionary. Um, that, that point in the story, I think came like after an incident that, uh, you know, ZJ had met with Everett and a bunch of the other boys and they were going to be playing two hand touch, but Everett gets overzealous about it and tackles ZJ and, um, draws some blood. And, you know, ZJ is, it, it, I think it triggered him because he has gotten to the place with, you know, with all the treatment that his dad's going through, that it, it seems that it was being hit so many times that has caused him to be where he's at. So, you know, he, he's obviously afraid of that type of contact and, having that happen to him and I'm sure doesn't want it to happen to anyone else either. Um, but he can see how passionate Everett is about the sport and probably knows that nothing he can say will take that away from him. And he, he, he also doesn't want to, you know, and, and I don't know, this, this might be a little bit more than what he's thinking, but, you know, just from a general perspective, it's, it's really a, a, an uncomfortable thing to squash someone's passion when they're they love that love it that much kind of like the same thing we were talking about at the beginning where you know no one wanted to kind of go down the path of maybe this could be because of the sport itself mm-hmm. you know it's it's really it, no one wants to be the person that puts the pin in someone's balloon well maybe some people do but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's you know if you are an, an empathetic and compassionate person it's it's not a fun conversation to have with anybody. So, you know, I think he, he was both like truly wishing him well, but also kind of saying, you know, I I really hope nothing bad happens to you. Yeah. It's kind of what I was going to say too, that he was being supportive of his dream, but also, you know, meaning like good luck. I hope hope it works out. I hope it works out Mm -hmm. like that you make it and that also you're safe. Yeah. Right. Hopefully by the time Everett gets to uh, to that level, things yeah. have changed. Yeah. I remember also there was a, another conversation, I think, that was with Everett and ZJ, but Everett was asking why ZJ's dad was no longer playing or when he was going to play again. And um, ZJ said he didn't know. And um, Everett asked why he stopped to begin with, and ZJ said that he got hit one too many times, and Everett said, well, that's not a reason. Mm-hmm. But now that we know, like, everything that we know about CTE, like, that is, like, the reason to not be able to play football anymore. Yeah, and you see that, too, in other sports as well. Like, that mm-hmm. happens in baseball. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about soccer, but... I would imagine rugby like any sport that has physical contact like that um really need should be looked at and how 
can the rules change? Like it doesn't always have to be that way. And yeah, like, my goodness, there's yeah. there's a lot of catchers from from Major League Baseball that are dealing with this and mm-hmm. careers cut short and yeah, all that kind of thing. And quality yeah. of life lessened. Yeah. I mean, that's that's I think you know. I wouldn't want to belittle at all, you know, someone having to leave the the sport prematurely, um, but to leave the sport and to not function at the same level as you would have prior to it is is super tragic. And yeah. I mean, we we put so much pressure on on athletes. I think male athletes in particular to because where the that's where the money is. Well, right, but I, but but specifically to um, you know, to be tough and to mm-hmm. play through pain and to mm-hmm. you know be able to get take a hit and and get back up and mm-hmm. keep going, you know, like that. That's just that's I think that's and I don't think it's quite the way it used to be, but it it's definitely still something that I I think especially men are are put a lot of pressure on themselves to emulate and to be. Um, and as, as you're saying, Julie, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And kudos to that doctor. Do we know what the name of the doctor? Amala? Yeah. It's, it's in the back. Let me look. Dr. Bennett Amalu. Mm-hmm. He discovered mm-hmm. this brain disease that affected boxers, which also makes sense. Um, yes. So thank you, Dr. Bennett Amalu, who figured out that this was happening and hopefully in the future can help make some changes to the sport and sports in general, because they should just be fun. (laughs) You shouldn't have to worry about ruining your life because you want to play sports. And I also do want to point out that it wasn't just his like hard scientific work. Like he had Mm -hmm. to also fight for mm-hmm. 14 years before mm-hmm. this was even recognized as this is a, this is a thing like he discovered mm-hmm. it in 2002 and the NFL didn't address it until 2016 that's sad huge yeah. thank you that just gave me chills not in a good way it's yeah. just oh, it's so sad yeah, yeah. well thank and you guys do you have yeah. any other last Feelings, thoughts, concerns. Yeah, I I wanted just to say that um, this is the first book, the first novel in verse that I've read. I know the two of you have been, you know, talking about these in in earlier episodes. And I wasn't sure what to expect because I I really haven't read anything like this. And I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that I, if I had had an hour to devote to it I could have just sat and read it in one sitting it, it would it was that engaging and it's and that poignant accessible it is mm-hmm. and I love the way that it's um it's sectioned like you know each of the the do would you call them poems or verses I would just call them yeah. chapters each yeah. chapter you know is is maybe two pages two to three pages at the most mm-hmm. um and it's like each one is its own little tableau or its own little, um, you know, kind of window into a certain moment or a, a certain thought that that this young boy is having around this. And it's just, you know, it, it gives you, like you were saying, Megan, like a little nugget to just kind of reflect on um, yeah. without getting bogged down in like 
the details of, you know, all the goings on. It's like just this one little snippet of, of this experience. Mm -hmm. And it's very accessible in that way too. You know, like you can, you can read one chapter and even though it takes maybe, you know, less than five minutes to get through it, it's, it's a lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Just because there's not many words in it doesn't mean it doesn't say a lot. Right. Yes. That's a very good way to put it. I have one other thing um, that I kind of wanted to see if you you guys kind of tracked this throughout. But there, at one point in the story, um, ZJ compares his dad to the Giving Tree, mm-hmm. like he yes. he he calls it out like by name, and then I feel like throughout after that there are small kind of references comparing his dad to the tree, like he compares his shaky hands to the shaky leaves on the branches and stuff. I just thought that was a really beautiful, heartbreaking metaphor as well that she weaved in there. Yeah, that's that a really is good a catch. Particularly heartbreaking book, but so good. Yeah. Yeah, and it is it is weaved throughout the book. Um I mean even the the um imagery on the cover art is like he it's like he's becoming a tree because he's made of leaves oh yeah i never realized that but that's totally yeah yeah there's definitely themes of it throughout because they they talk he talks a lot about the like the different trees on their property like the oak they named maple Mm -hmm. (laughs) crabby Mm -hmm. (laughs) crabby yeah they they have all Mm -hmm. these different trees on their property that you know they have they have names for and so that's definitely a a big um you know device that she uses throughout her storytelling to create imagery and and metaphor so Megan I'm looking as at your book as you're going through are those your teacher notes no these are the notes that I was writing in as we were as I was reading for this um but I'll leave them in in case I do want to I need to do that direction I know I'm definitely going to need to do that for (laughs) for our show next month (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, one other thing that I wanted to point in, just because I was looking through my um, my sticky notes, um, the chapter on pages 64 and 65, Call Me Little Man, uh, the oh, first yeah. time you forgot my name feels like yesterday, feels like an hour ago, feels like I blink and you forgetting is right there in front of me. Um, that whole poem, I wanted to mention that I think that's the only one that he that is written in second person. So it's like ZJ directing or addressing his dad directly. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was another cool way that she was able, that Jacqueline Woodson was able to emphasize an important moment um, just by switching the point of view um, that it was kind of like he was introducing himself to us, the reader, but also to his dad at the same time. Um, the first time that he forgot him. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, And, oh, go ahead, Julia. I was just going to say, not that this is the situation, why that these things were happening, but this reminded me of um, our grandmother (laughs) and not really understanding why she was declining. Um, there's a part, that part when he yelled at ZJ and his friends brought back a memory of when our grandmother came back from 
the hospital and I wanted to give her 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 homecoming present because I was very excited because I helped pick it out and she yelled at me. Mm -hmm. She had never yelled at me in my entire life. And I just remember sitting there thinking, who is this person? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just us watching her slowly forget us and all that kind of stuff. Like I could relate on that level. The -hmm. reasons why she was like that was not because she was a pro football player, but yeah. It particularly, parallels, though, yeah. yeah, it particularly hit home. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to drag it down. No, but I mean, that's what, um, these are the types of conversations that I'm ho- hoping um, reading these types of books will open up among my students is, mm-hmm. um, you know, seeing things that they can relate to and mm-hmm. having a a pathway into talking about it. Um, and also seeing things that are different from their experience that they can start empathizing um, over. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I, I interrupted you, Katie. What were you going to say? I don't remember. <laughs> Sorry. But I, I was thinking earlier, you know, as we were kind of sharing some last thoughts about this, the other the other piece that I really um, enjoyed kind of seeing, and I think this kind of goes back to the question of like, how did his relationship with his father uh, develop throughout the book? And um, so ZJ starts playing music and creating music for his father. So this whole, and I think I was, uh, what what Megan said about, you know, that that Call Me Little Man poem where it was, it was very, uh, the, the point of view was shifted you know, it, it, the way this is written feels like it could almost be his journal, um, or his, his sketchbook for, for thinking of music, because there are certain points in it where he, he writes in different parts of songs that he's creating. And that becomes a part of his relationship with his father too, because the, the on the days that he's playing him music, it, it seems to help his father. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems, it seems to make him feel better. And, you know, music is, is very therapeutic, uh, both to play it and to to listen to it. So um, I think he he kind of, in that sense, the the dynamic shifted from his father being his hero to him being his father's hero. Hmm. That's nice. Sorry, that sounded really, like, <laughs> dismissive, but that that was heartfelt. That's a nice point. That was no. a nice observation. Well, thank you, guys. That was a nice conversation. Um, and I think we all recommend this book. Mm-hmm. 10 out of 10. All right. So now we're going to get into our bookends. Uh, we haven't done a proper bookends for a while where we just talk about what we have been reading, um, what we've finished recently, what we're going to read. So, Megan, what's up book-wise? Book-wise, for me, um, I started listening this morning, actually, on the Libby app to uh, Raising Good Humans. This is one that I mentioned um, in my 
uh, in the last month's episode of something that's I'm using to help kind of set a goal or reach a goal or set an intention. Um, it's raising good humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reacting, sorry, cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids by Holly uh, Hunter Clark Fields. Um, and I'm about a quarter of the way through it so far. It's only a six hour listen um, and I'm enjoying it so far. Um, it's talking a lot about how trying to not be a reactive parent is what will also lead to your children not being overreactive. So it makes so much sense that a lot of it is just modeling being a good human will help in the raising of a good human. Um, so that's one thing I'm listening to. And then the book that I'm reading right now that I'm really enjoying so far is A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson. Um, and it's really good so far. I'm probably about, I don't know, less than 100 pages in. But it's um, it's a fast read so far. Um, this was This is the book that's chosen for my friend's book club that we'll be meeting in March to discuss. And I might have the issue of finishing it really early and then by the time the the book club rolls around I won't remember anything um mm -hmm. because I will have read it so fast because it's that good it's uh reminding me a lot of the first season of the serial podcast so any of you true crime junkies out there you might enjoy this one too mm -hmm. so that's what I've got going on right now Katie very cool oh is it my turn um so I dove back into an old favorite of mine. Um, I, I reread the entire series of Descender and Ascender. Um, part of why I did this is because we we read the first volume of it for our comic book club last month, and I couldn't just stop at the one. I had to reread the rest of it, and I really, really enjoyed it uh, this, this time through, particularly the Ascender run, which was uh, – takes place 10 years after the conclusion of Descender. And um, it was the first time I'd, I had read it all in one go because when I was I was reading it the first time through, I was getting it issue by issue. Like every, every month or so I was getting an issue. So it was kind of hard to remember exactly where the last one left off. So it was really great to, to kind of see it all in, in succession um, and, and read it all at once. It was Super wonderful, um, unique, special um, comic book series that I, I highly recommend. Um, and beyond that, I already mentioned that I, I recently listened to Loving versus Virginia, uh, which was wonderful. I did finally finish White Fang, um, and that was good as well. And, that was a trudge. Um, it wasn't really like it was it it took a little longer to read than like a comic book, but all novels do. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I love the way uh, Jack London writes and uh, it was, it was interesting to see the the evolution of, of White Fang um, and, and how he develops through the story. It, it's a well-known story. I'm, I'm not going to bore people with that, that, that synopsis. So, <laughs> um, but I, I definitely enjoyed that. And um, what I'm going to be getting into, I will talk about at the end once Julia tells hers. Da, da, da. <laughs> it's what we're all going to be reading. So, 
All right. So in this, uh, we're into our second month of this new year. Um, and I have been reading my way through the saga series. Woo-hoo. <laughs> um, because it has just recently picked back up and I'm assuming Katie has it waiting for her at Zeppelin Comics. I do. If, if you pay for that, I will gladly go pick it up and read it first. are you all the way through up to are you up to date at that point uh i should be um i'm i'm on volume six right now and there's nine volumes um well the the first issue is should be there already i think it came out on like the 22nd i just love how you framed that as a like a favor (laughs) you would be doing for katie (laughs) that is totally you can read it first that is totally fine with me because I still have Otherwise to do a it's just reread because that—that's also in the hopper for me. Is uh, and I forgot to mention that I, I definitely still have to reread the compendium that that is out currently. So that that's definitely in my plans. Which I did give back to you. You did, and I have lent to a friend. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be. Is it but, Courtney? No, it's Matt. But I'm probably going to uh, lend it to Courtney too because I know she liked the uh, the first. Uh, volume that we read we read so with book club so I I, I'm, I'm probably gonna read it before you give it to her though I don't know if of, I can wait I have plenty of time to read this this new this new issue yes you do is what I'm hearing <laughs> no rush <laughs> all right and I just yesterday finished um the book that Megan gave to me for Yola Bocaflot um Bookwoman, the Bookwoman of Troublesome Creek and um I really enjoyed it um it made me appreciate my profession, and that is librarianship, because this, and Megan has talked about it on the show, which I think is why she decided to get it for me for Yola Book of Lot. Um, but if, if you don't want to go back in our archives, um, <laughs> this the main character is one of the pack horse librarians in Kentucky. Um, so basically she has a route of patrons that she goes and visits on the back of her mule, who the mule was the best character in the book. In I my loved opinion. the mule. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, she was a Kentucky blue woman like that. I feel like that is an important part, like meaning she was literally blue. Yeah. And that Which, was a real thing. Yes. Um, and it's all a big part of the story. And um yeah, it was it was sad. It was hopeful. It ended very quickly, um, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. So, and in the hopper for all three of us and three special guests that we will have next month, I'm going to let Katie explain what book we're reading and what we'll be doing for our March show. Take it away, Kate. Absolutely. So we are excited. We're going to be... Um, joined by three of our our closest female friends to celebrate together Women's History Month. Uh, We have a a book that we're going to... And not just three of our closest friends, but uh, like our number one listener. I was just going to (laughs) say, our friend of the pod actually brought this book to the show. Our biggest supporter. We're so excited to have you. She's she's one of them, yes. Um, 
Courtney, my my friend that I've mentioned many times on on the podcast, has uh, recommended this book called Spinning Straw into Gold, What Fairy Tales Reveal About the Transformations in a Woman's Life by Joan Gould, is, is one of her favorite books that she's read multiple times for multiple book clubs. And she is going to bring the enthusiasm next month. So I just want you guys to be prepared uh, for that. But we wanted to give a little teaser for that in case any of our other listeners wanted to uh, to read that and and share in some of the the discussion that we're going to have to celebrate Women's History Month. And we're all looking forward to reading that. Um, But I think that's going to close this chapter out. So thank you for joining us. And until next time, keep reading, sharing, and repeating. Bye. (laughs) Talk at you later. (laughs) Why did you take so long to say goodbye? You usually say it. Okay, I'll do it bye again. All right, are you ready? Mm -hmm. Bye. 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 Awkward. how we do that brings us to a close on this chapter of sibling library thank you for listening until next time let's read share and repeat